0: You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Viola Davis, how could I not look back on this conversation? It won an award. Can you believe it? Won Skip Intro a Signal Award. She speaks her mind and she engages and she's thoughtful. We all know she's wildly talented. This conversation, I chased for a long time. She had a couple movies out. She was super busy. But I was so grateful and flattered that she made the time for us to talk. So this is from 2021. And in this conversation, we dug into her incredible 33-year career, which, as we know, has spanned stage and screen, both big and small. We also discussed her role as Ma Rainey in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a performance that got her an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. You'll recall that the film included a host of vibrant performances, including the final performance from the late and dearly missed actor Chadwick Boseman. But in the years since, Viola has continued to take a number of challenging roles, including General Noneska in the action epic The Woman King, which is currently available on Netflix. And I just saw her movie that she did air. She's spectacular in that. And she also published her memoir, Finding Me, this past year. So here is Viola Davis. Viola Davis, thank you so much for making the time to come and talk with me. Congratulations on all of your nominations that you have received for your performance and uh, this film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is very exciting. So I'm just going to get right into it with you. What were the emotions that were churning through your body when you first got this script and you knew that you were going to play ma or it was offered to you?
1: Um, well, it's the emotion that always is my first emotion with anything because I'm an actor. I, the imposter syndrome is very real for actors. (laughs) So the first emotion is always fear. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and, <laughs> it's fear it's it's fear that you know you're you not going to get it right fear that you're going to have you know you're going to face the criticism you know which in hindsight is ridiculous because you're always going to have people who don't like you it's just you know the but when but there is an innate need <laughs> in actors and anyone to be loved <laughs> so I would say fear. And only because it's a bo- behemoth of a role. Mm. It, it is only because you don't. You, it, it, it's not an entire narrative that is about her. You, you know, you don't have the benefit of seeing her in her private life mm-hmm. in bed with Dusty May alone with herself, you know, at home, um, You know, in just those private moments, you see her in that recording studio having to set Irvin and Sturdy Band and her band members straight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what you see, that slice of life. So it's for me as an actor, it was about problem solving. How do you show or how do you show as much emotion when all you have is a slice of her time in a recording studio? Um, so fear—that's
0: <laughs> to answer your question. <laughs> and then you were, mm-hmm. and yeah. and as an actor, because I believe we all have fear. We 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 have, you know, it just consumes us, and we we're in a constant state of quelling that fear to proceed onward in life. But for you, do you work out the fear throughout the script, or is it something that's still on that the night before the first day of shooting? Do you still feel that? Is it always like kind of live within you while you? It is
1: ever present you know, it is ever present. And I love an Anne Lamott quote, great writer, very spiritual woman. And she says, courage is fear said with prayers. Mm. And that's what it feels like when you're an actor. It's because let's be honest, you're putting yourself on the line um, because you're using yourself. You're using you you your heart um everything that's inside of you it's 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 an exposing so the fear absolutely doesn't go away you just you're not you you may not be crippled by it but it's ever present and really for me it lets me know that i'm pushing myself at least and um that I'm not always going to get everything right, but at least I'm going to run that ball. Mm. Even if I'm running it in the wrong direction, I'm running with it. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that analogy. Well, I have to say, like when I first saw this movie, and I've seen it a couple times, I... I'm so transfixed by her present, her physicality, the makeup, the way she holds her body. And I couldn't get over the way you sit as Ma on that chair. And then you realize like there was not a huge amount of material on Ma Rainey, right? In terms of research, Uh -uh. like, but yet she feels so layered and so specific. And I I just want to Talk to you about how you threaded that as an actress uh, to come to the place where you arrived at at this fully formed character.
1: Well, I always say that you have to rely on um, well when you're playing a real character, you have to rely on your research. Everything it's called given circumstances. She, you know, everything you know from the gold teeth to the makeup to how people said she looked to you know, her being a bisexual, you have to rely on all that, okay? Mm -hmm. That is who she was. You can't change it. You can't alter it in order to meet the comfortability, if that is a word, of the audience. But then after that, you have to fill it in with what you know about life. Mm -hmm. Because, listen, I don't care what history book you have, I don't care if there are literally 50 million books out there about Ma Rainey. I guarantee you most of those books, 99.9% of those books will never capture who she really is because people don't have the benefit of seeing you in private moments, those moments that they don't even know who they are. <laughs> so then that's why you have to study life. And I, I, I I know women like Ma. I, I, hmm. I've seen them in my life, in my family. And, and, um, and that's where I had to work from. So what is she thinking at this moment? What is she feeling at this moment? What, and, and the plethora of emotions that could be going through her mind that's not even spoken in words. The big thing for me with Ma is very soon after this, she will be rendered extinct.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Her career will be over. And I don't think that people understand. It's like, I don't know if we name any of the great artists who are out there. Um, I mean, people who are really great at what they do. If suddenly that thing were taken away from them, and they no longer had it, or if people just didn't even remember you, what does that feel like? How does that sort of um, propel you and motivate you through, throughout your life, even in that recording studio? I think that was a huge part of it, too. Y'all are not even respecting me. I don't want to hear about Bessie. Mm-hmm. You know, I was before Bessie. Bessie learned from me, you know. All of that is, you know, the, the famous Carrie Fisher quote, which is, fame is obscurity waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so that's a huge part of it. And also I'm dealing with a very immature bandmate um, who's making passes at my woman. That's my woman, she belongs to me. This is my band, she belongs to me, you're not. So all of that, for me, um, I just put in my thinking, that's what you do. I, and, and another uh, comparison I'm making to to further my point is you could be at a funeral, like when my dad passed away. You could be at a funeral and one minute you're going, oh, my God, how am I going to live without my dad? And the next minute is, what am I going to eat today? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the next minute is, oh, my God, Mrs. Owen came to the funeral. I haven't seen her in years. To the next moment of, oh, my God, what's my mom going to do? She's got to be devastated. So you take everything that they're experiencing in life, everything, and you put it in your psyche at any given time. Even if she's drinking her soda, she may be thinking, "Shoot, I don't really want to do this, so but let me just drink my soda first and breathe and breathe through it and start again. But that's how I filled it up with life to make her feel alive. Uh, if if that makes any sense, of so those <sighs> that stream of consciousness that I tried to inject um, her with as much as I could.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much going on at that moment in time that we as an audience members are introduced to her. There's so much going on, like you said, in that in that recording studio. Uh, and the Coca-Cola scene to me was just such a great example of like of like owning that power, understanding the value and then demanding to be respected in the framework of that power.
1: Well, you know what, Krista, a part of the fear that I have, to be perfectly honest with you, is I know that most of the critics and most of the audience will be white. Mm-hmm. And not all of them, because I don't want to be bold and say most of them don't, but a lot don't understand Black Lives. Okay, and the setup to that, I say all that to say, that I think that people will look at that moment with the Coca-Cola and reduce it. Reduce it to just a diva moment where someone is just like demanding, you know, you know, make sure I have Hershey's chocolate bar in my trailer at five o'clock, mm-hmm. you know, she's mm-hmm. just being a diva mm-hmm. as opposed to The depth of what is happening and honoring August Wilson and his legacy, the depth of what's happening is she is fighting invisibility and not just invisibility of a profession where she will be rendered extinct by the more bebop, faster jazz, blues musicians like Bessie Smith, Mamie Smith, you know, Billie Holiday, who's going to come after her, but also being rendered invisible by a culture you're in the height of jim crow you're in the 1920s where you had a huge this is ida b wells territory where you had a huge number of lynchings you have the only place that black people could perform is in Chitlin circuit shows where they were doing derogatory characters like her and pa Rainey were doing coon face shows. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that they could express their art Mm -hmm. was by doing derogatory things. So they're fighting a culture, a world that doesn't see their value at all. Jim Crow laws, you're black, black, eighth black, quarter black, you have no rights. You don't get paid as much. You can't copyright your material. You know, Ray Charles is the first one who was able to do that. That's what the Coca-Cola is about. Mm -hmm. The Coca-Cola isn't just about, just have all white flowers and white couch in my trailer. I want a first class trailer, it's gotta be 46 feet. Bah, 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 bah. (laughs) It's no, see me, value me. All of you value me. I am worth something, you know? And it's filtered through a request, a seemingly insignificant request of Coca-Cola, because you know that that's the least you could do for me. You don't want to pay me, you don't want to pay my nephew, but the least you could do is have some cold Coca-Colas on the set. So I, so that's a huge. That's a huge part of why i uh, uh, that fear was driving me is making the masses understand it mm-hmm. you know, and then letting it go, of course. Mm-hmm. I, I don't fight that hard
0: <laughs> but um to me, it was very clear that's what I think makes that scene so powerful is because she has to do that, otherwise she's going to get just run over and the and exploited. You know, I I was so moved by that. I feel this is why people have responded so deeply to this, and also to August Wilson's work. And I would say, listeners, if you have not seen "Giving Voice," which is also on the Netflix platform, you should because that's incredible to me. Uh, and Viola, you you produce that. You're you're a big part of yes. that, right? And that was taking high school drama kids, yes, and it's a competition. Yes, for a monologue competition. A mon- monologues, right. August so Wilson
1: monologue competition. I yes.
0: wept. I loved that documentary, that added piece of material extended in this in this Ma Rainey universe, in the August Wilson universe. How did you come up with that? How did you come to be involved in making that happen?
1: Well, I'm the go-to August Wilson actress. That's how I came <laughs> you know
0: well you have got a lot of hardware <laughs> yeah i will say and
1: yes so they did come to me and and really it, it it was very easy to move me on that one because i'm just i'm a firm believer that art is healing i do believe that and i believe you know my go to saying is you can either leave something for people or you can leave something in people And I believe that's what August Wilson left with these these beautiful plays, Century Cycle plays and these monologues, which absolutely, specifically encapsulates specific uh, minutiae and epic scope of black lives, of black and brown lives. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think that when these kids are able to perform these monologues. It's not really even about the competition. It's not even about winning. It's about how you learn You learn something about yourself because you have to use yourself. You gotta put yourself out there. You have to, con- you have to confront certain demons within with any number of these characters, whether it's, I don't know, um, whether it's Tanya and King Headley who wants to abort her baby because she doesn't want to have to bring another black man in the world and watch him die, watch him be killed, Um, to King Headley who just wants to be somebody, Um, to Harold Loomis who literally slits his chest in an African ritual and smears his blood over his face in a ritual in order to release himself, to find himself, the soul and nature of who he is and not just how he was defined by the white man. You have to explore all of those ideas and values when you do August Wilson. So that's why I love this monologue competition. And it's certainly valuable in kids who are coming from challenging backgrounds because a lot of people don't see them. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't leave crumbs for the so-called, quote, end quote, people who are on the periphery. Um, And August Wilson did. So that's why I was involved in that. And, you know, I've known about them, August Wilson in monologue competition for years. So it was a, it was a joy to be a part of that. It really was.
0: Oh, and it's so, it's just so great to watch and there there's to hear their personal stories and then to see them perform. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Um, well, I want to talk, obviously we're talking August Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. You won an Oscar for fences. Uh, that mm-hmm. was with Denzel start opposite him obviously he directed that he produced uh, Ma Rainey did not act in it obviously talk to me about your spiritual relationship with Denzel I mean he cast you and Antoine Fisher like just tell me about what you learn from each other and what it's like to collaborate with him
1: he's a kindred spirit in terms of the work You know, sometimes you don't really necessarily meet kindred spirits, even with people who are talented, but he literally, I mean, you see it in his work, right? That he Mm -hmm. operates on a really deep level of honesty. I don't care what you watch him in. He makes choices that are bold and he makes choices that are honest. And when we first met, we first met When um, I did Antoine Fisher, a movie um, with Derek Luke that Denzel directed, that's when we first collaborated with Todd Black, who was also a producer on Ma Rainey and Fences. And so it became just a perfect, it's a perfect collaboration. He understands the work, the process of acting, the words to use to unlock something that an actor is stuck with, he knows how to rehearse, how to navigate, how to leave you alone, how to get in there and really massage it. And as a producer, he has great respect for the artists who are hired. He'll come to the set, but he'll step back. So I, I love him and I actually, I love him as a person. I think he's an honorable man. I think he's a man of his, he's a man of principle. And when he promised August Wilson that he would do the entire century cycle of, of plays and, and do it for the screen, he committed to it. And he actually wanted to do fences um, on stage before he directed it. So he could really understand the characters. I thought that that was a mm-hmm. boss move, by mm-hmm. the way.
0: We're
1: mm-hmm. kindred spirits with the work. I have a 33 year career where i Performed in every theater in the country, probably, and in New York. And he's got a long career with two people who dive in there. I love him. I always tell him I'm a friend and a
0: fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that yeah. expression. Um, and also, in, in in this film, it reunited you with Chadwick. You guys were in Get On Up. And I, I love, I read something that you said recently about Chadwick doesn't feel gone because he's so alive in his work and that i just love that expression and i loved i love that sentiment behind that When, when yeah when you met on this set again how had both of you changed as actors or as people had had you noticed did you feel any different
1: oh i definitely felt the difference with him he was um, more confident about his work and not that he wasn't confident before, but very confident with his work.
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: don't think that he saw his work as separate from who he was, that it was an extension of his authenticity. But one of the reasons why I say that he was so alive is in my fantasy, and it's just my fantasy. I don't actually know this. I believe that Chadwick, when he transitioned, was probably ready. Hmm. And I think that when you're in this, you have to be in his presence. It's actually really hard to articulate Chadwick Boseman because he operated on a different spiritual realm. And I'm not trying to just elevate him because he's gone on and because Ma Rainey is being, I'm telling you the truth that he lived his life with a sense of purpose and his work was an extension of that purpose. His family, the people he had around him, everyone from his hair, makeup, his family was on the set with him. Everything that he did was spiritually intentional. Even what he did while he was waiting in between setups on the set, going back to the trailer and playing that djembe drum Mm. just to release whatever was going on in his soul. Because that's what the djembe drum is for. That's a spiritual instrument. And he played it beautifully. And he played it in a way that was unbridled. So working with him, it made you step up. It really did. It made you even check yourself in terms of your integrity. Am I doing this because I'm aware of when it comes out, oh my God, is it gonna be awards tension? Are they gonna push it for awards? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? And then you're in his presence and he forces you through the sheer sort of energy that, that permeated from him to be purposeful and honest. And I always say that he was a character actor in a leading man's body. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't interested in being handsome and slick Willy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He was interested in being bold and testing the limits of, 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 of what he could do with his art. He was an artist, that's what he was. Some people are just actors and some people are just entertainers. He was an actual artist.
0: Well, I want to take you back in time a little bit to you, Viola, who are also an artist. Mm-hmm. So I had a couple of questions for you. When you were a child, and you're mm-hmm. in high school, and it's from what I've read and know about you, that's kind of when you found your calling in, in theater and in acting, what, what drew you into theater?
1: What drew me into theater was poverty and trauma.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. That's what drew me in and, and, and the sheer, like passionate need to be somebody hmm. in response to my poverty and trauma. I needed, I needed to blow a hold into this, in, into this life because my entire childhood was about just survival. Fighting. Fighting to keep my head above water. I mean, listen, I know people talk about poverty as if, if, okay, you you were poor. I don't want to hear that anymore. You didn't have any money in the bank or whatever. I don't care what anyone says. When you're poor, you're invisible. The side effects of it are extreme. You have no opportunity or access to opportunity. Nobody sees you. You're in the cloak of invisibility. You're in a cloak of shame. You're in, a, you're in the hole. And the thing about acting is you could channel all of what is in you into a character and use it And when the audience sees it, the more you use it, the better you are at what you do. And it heals you. Because where else in life do you have permission to to spew, to give all of what's inside of you, whether it's pain or joy or an idea or your imagination, where else do you have permission to channel that? Art gives you that permission. It is a sacred space. And so when I first performed and I literally got the applause, and this is coming from a life where I'm running and people calling me, you ugly, you black, you Mm -hmm. this or you this, and me chucking them the finger and running and crying and showing them my tail. (laughs) I mean, I was a fighter. To go from that to getting the applause, to being seen Are you kidding me? That
0: was it. That's what drove me. Mm
1: -hmm. It was a combination of that. I loved it.
0: Well, there's two parallel things. There's one having that, exactly what you're talking about, that passion, being seen, being doing. And then there's another thing to get it, go to college, get yourself in college, to graduate college. And then to get into Juilliard. Like Mm -hmm. that that takes guts. That takes a certain kind of... Superpower, you could be talented. Plenty of people are talented, but they don't have both. You have both.
1: Well, you know, a, a, a huge part of it is I, I can't explain it to you because you know who can explain luck. And I'm not saying that I got by on luck, I really did work hard. I have a 33 year career, so I, I, I did work hard but there's a lot of people who work hard out there right mm-hmm. we're in a profession 95% mm-hmm. unemployment rate and 0.04% of actors are famous but what i had it was courage but i'll tell you there is nothing like um what's the word i'm looking for necessary courage um there is nothing like um the courage that comes from having no other choice you have to realize it's you know my fam- it's like the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born i needed i i needed to get out and then when i when you find that thing, that passion, it then becomes undeniable. I, I, I didn't know how to, you know, put a tourniquet in my soul and just squelch it squ- and squash it out. I had to I had to follow it because I want to make my life. You know, I, I think that we're all um, driven by a need. You know some people just have a need of worth, a need of value, a need of control. My need was to be somebody. That was what my need was until I realized Viola, acting doesn't just make you somebody. it's all the other stuff too <laughs> but but the drive the 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 going to Rhode Island College, the getting the degree, the going to Juilliard, the becoming a professional actress that. 23, um, it, all of that was achieved through drive, <laughs> hmm. not necessarily confidence, not necessarily courage, because drive can operate separate from all that. But N- when you're coming from extreme poverty, I'm telling you, and Trump... It, what it does, it, it, it can do two things. It can make you fold and just sort of stay there, or it can put a fire under your butt like nothing you've ever felt before because you don't want to stay there. And then somewhere in there, you begin to understand that it's not just about making your mark and being an actor and buying a house and, you know, working with great directors. It's about significance, and transcendence and love and relationships and finding your joy and finding a place to heal. But um, I say all that to say, all of it came from a need to make a mark in the world. I'm not gonna lie, make a mark in the world, be someone. My name is Viola Davis and this is who I am. I want people to know who I am.
0: How, what's your drive now? Like, how do you define success at this point in your career?
1: Oh, man. Doing what brings me joy. Not even just attention, just what brings me joy. And that's a hard one. I mean, I I think that people don't understand how hard that is because they're not in it. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that we have it harder than it. I, I understand how hard people have it in life. I'm not trying to monop- monopolize pain and hardship. But how I define it now is operating in a place of joy and significance, even with my life at home. You know, once again, you can leave something for people or in people. Mm-hmm. And you know, working with Denzel all the time, he says it. He says, "And I loved when he actually said it." Said it. He said that there's no U-Haul in the back of a Hearst. I, I absolutely feel that. I I know that when my dad passed, one of the things that he that the one of the last things he did was apologize to my mom for all the things that he might have done to hurt her and i think that's really interesting that the last part of his life that that was going through his mind that of all the things that people say that give you sort of status and significance like money and awards but the last thing was about telling this woman that I spent the last 48 years of my life with, who I love more than anything, that I am truly sorry. And that tattooed itself in my memory. So my whole, that's how I feel right now. It's like, I'm looking at, if I look at a project and I'm like, okay, I need my daughter to be with me. Um, it doesn't really move me. Um, am I going to be in a place where my husband, my daughter could be with me and we can actually have fun when I'm not working? I'm not going to lie to you. It's like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's what's important in my life right now Mm -hmm. is significance, love, peace, being, feeling alive. That's what's important. Not to be too deep on a Tuesday
0: afternoon, but that's (laughs) it. Well, your career, I mean, you really are the stuff that dreams are made of. I mean, what you've, you know, like you said, like being a professional actress at 23 years old, you have been around, you have been in it for a long time.
1: I have been, and a huge part of my career has been in the, on the musty stages Of uh, Broadway, Off-Broadway, mm-hmm. and regional theater. That's been a huge part of my career, too. And I count that as much a part of my uh, journey as my film and TV career. Yeah. Well, you
0: you were on Broadway, what, like three years after graduating Juilliard or less? the I mean, I was trying to yes. do the math. You were already on mm-hmm. Broadway.
1: Yes. And i the play that I did on Broadway, which was Seven Guitars... I did that play for a year. Um, I performed it in Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, before it came to New York. This is you know, the journey that people don't talk about. There's the, so many actors who are out there who are fantastic, who are doing some of their best work in, in theater where people don't get to see them. Um, But I say all that to say that it's my first love, theater. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope to get back back to it at some point.
0: Yeah. Oh, you'll get back to it. Are you kidding? And then even like we haven't even talked about how to get away with murder when you're in everybody's living rooms. There's That's a different kind of fame, a different kind of familiarity. And that uh, character, Annalise Keating, was amazing. That's like one of my favorite characters in television. Um, Thank you. And you also became the first uh, black actress to win an Emmy and in a lead in a drama series. So many firsts uh, for you. I always ask this question to everybody I interview and I know it seems a little like obvious. What advice do you have for the next generation or the younger, younger generation about how to live your life fully as an artist, whether that's an actor, a musician, whatever it is, knowing that you're entering something where the odds are already stacked against you?
1: That's a huge question, okay? Okay only because you know we're living in a day and age where people don't want to get out of bed unless that job is right. Even if they haven't done anything, they expect to have that great acting job straight out of the gate at 19 years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel that, I th- you know what I think that life is about? Life is a constant journey and finding out what you live for. What do you live for? What do you want? Do you wanna be an actor? Do you wanna be a famous actor? Okay, you have to practice your art. Do you have to do it in Hollywood? Can you stay in, I don't know, Minneapolis and work with high school students who are having a hard time in school and then you use theater as a way of them sort of tapping into themselves, sort of like giving voice. Where do you want to land in your life? Where, what is the center of your joy? I think that what happens too often in life is you follow someone else's idea of what success is and what significance is. And you follow someone else's idea of who you should be. And it's only until midway through your life that you go, oh my God, wait a minute, hold on. You know, it's like someone said that when you start a marathon, you're on par with everyone else. Everyone's on on pace, everybody's at the same pace. And then somewhere in there, you begin to be on pace with someone who is equal to you. So you're on pace with someone else, but it's only until halfway through the race, you begin to run your own race. And that's what I wanna tell the um, young people to run your own race. Everybody is trying to be like someone else. And they never practice mindfulness in exploring what exactly do you want? What brings you joy? Where is your bliss? I see it all the time. You know, I I, 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 I want to write. I want to be like Issa Rae or Michaela Cole, or you, or whatever. It's like, me? You can't be like me. I'm me. That's already (laughs) taken. (laughs) That book was checked out of the library, you know? And um, that's what I would tell them. And you can only find yourself by going out there and doing as much as you can, not just exploring your art, But exploring your life, because if you don't explore your life, you have nothing to inform your art because you haven't lived enough. Because life is happening at the same time as your work is happening and you can't shut life off. (laughs) Um, So and you have to fail. You got to fail. You got to fall down and realize who you are in order to get back up. So what? that's what I would say, which is big. It's but big, that's but what it's, I would say.
0: And, and for you, like you, you've said it, 33-year career and, you know, the accolades, obviously the Tonys and nominations and stuff you got in your theater work early on. But for you, when did you, in your the course of your career, when did you find your voice? When did that moment happen? How to get away with murder. Really? And why is yep. that? Because I was playing a role
1: that everyone thought I should not be playing. And it was a lead role on network television with Shonda Shonda Rhimes. Mm -hmm. So it basically was like being naked in public. So I had to harness whatever power I had in order to create that character and make it work. I had to redefine what it meant to be a leading lady, what it meant to be black, what it meant to be sexual, Um, what it meant to be messy, what it meant to be on network TV. I had, I felt like I had to redefine it and I couldn't redefine it by trying to be someone else. Um, So that's when I, I found my voice because here's the thing I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, You know, I, I, I knew someone who actually said, I don't want to hear that, (laughs) but there's a lot of disillusionment on the top.
0: Mhm.
1: You get to the summit and you look over and like, wow. Wow lasts for about 5 minutes. And then the responsibility seeps in. The isolation seeps in. The pressure seeps in. And the disillusionment is that wait a minute. Uh hold up. All I'm doing is working 18 hours a day and not seeing my family and a lot of these scripts don't work, and wait, 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 it's not what I thought it would be. And that's because it, that's not the summit. The summit is, like I said, significance. That's the summit. And that's what I realized with How to Get Away with Murder. It's like I, 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 I didn't have any way in. I wasn't a size two. It's not like I walked in heels like I was a supermodel. I was not what, quote, end quote, you would deem a leading lady. So the only thing I had to rely on is my voice. And and it's in exploring that voice that I found a huge, it was a big revelation in terms of significance and what it would mean for women of color even um, who were coming, um, behind me.
0: Um, yeah. Viola, it is just, I I could talk to you forever. We haven't even gotten into Meryl Streep. I got so many more questions for you, but I want to be mindful of your time, but you are just, I mean, to watch you on screen, no matter what you're doing, whether it's a small screen or a big screen, you just, you can't take your eyes off of you. So Your significance is deeply felt. Thank you so much, Krista. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to netflixq.com for more. That's netflix queue dot com.